I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another fine edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Beasel from CBC Sports, joined as I am each and every week by Jesse Granger, who is in Vegas. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Just the two of us today, because Sarah's out. You know, hurricane season's over. I've been using that dad joke like for like days now, by the way. Um, so obviously, she's she's busy with her. Her gig with the the Hurricanes and closing up shop there for another season. So it's going to be myself and Jesse. And then Shana Goldman is going to join us in the second uh, half of the show from The Athletic. Always love having Shana on to talk a little bit of everything. Do we have anything to talk about today, Jesse? I don't know. Did anything happen last night of, of interest? A few goals happened last night. Wow. Talk about living up to hype. Unbelievable. Like, you know... Um, I've been doing a lot of radio and TV hits for uh, preparing, you know, people for this series in Canada. And, um, I keep, I kept saying, guys, this is going to be a crazy series. It's going to be wacky. They're going to see a lot of goals. You're going to see amazing talent. You're going to see questionable goaltending. You're going to probably going to see some drama and some controversy. Uh, but I meant over a seven game series. I didn't think they would cram all of that into game one. It got so crazy last night that I got a text uh, from somebody that said, quote, I've never done cocaine, but I have to imagine it's like watching this hockey game. And that text came from one Jesse Granger. We're going to take a deep dive into this, Jesse, but just your impressions of just, just how crazy game one. Yeah, it was, it was insane. This, these playoffs, I feel like the trend in these playoffs, the overwhelming trend is like, They've lived up to the hype, like the yep. battle for Alberta. We talked about it for 30 years. We, we, how many seasons have we thought we were going to get it and we didn't? And then we finally did. And it's so, it's so much like sports for when you finally get that series for it to just suck. And it didn't. It lived up to the hype. It was amazing. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky in the East shutting down the Panthers. I thought that he was like kind of that, that kind of for me was living up to the hype. And now we've got two conference finals that could not be more different. And we talked about how the goalies in the other series and the offenses in this series and game one did not disappoint even a little bit. There was that one stretch from what first end of the first and the beginning of the second period. I've never seen hockey played like that before. Like, I think there were five goals in five minutes and there were also like seven high danger chances that didn't go in yeah. during that same five minute stretch. Like there could have been 12 goals in that five minutes. Uh, just insane hockey. You know, every year around the all-star break, uh, we say, could you imagine if they actually cared about this game and actually tried? That's what I kind of felt like last night was. Yeah. Like, throw a ton of talent on the ice and give them stakes give them something that they want to you know to play for uh like i said i knew it was going to be crazy i didn't think it was going to be that crazy and i know there were a lot of matchups people were focused in on obviously mcdavid versus mckinnon was kind of the marquee one but i love the fact that 
Um, so many other things dominated, you know, the, the, the storylines, we'll call it that way. Like, it's kind of funny, like really McDavid had three points, McKinnon with two points, they both scored. And I feel like they're number like 12 on the thing we need to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Definitely did not expect those two to be in the shadows. Um, that goal by McKinnon though, it's just, oh. like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in this, but like I stereotype hockey players that like the crafty guys are usually the like slow guy, like the guy who might not be the most physically like, like commanding guy who's not flying up and down the ice. He's just crafty. He's got those little moves in tight. Like don't let, don't give that guy time and space in front. McKinnon makes those crafty moves at 115 miles an hour. It's insane. Uh, Mike Smith tried to poke check him and looked like an idiot. Um, (laughs) It, it, he, McKinnon is just he like I said you're not supposed to be that crafty moving that fast it's unbelievable to watch and the it. best thing is we've got two of them in the series right I mean that we've got two guys who do that um we're gonna get into everything I, I'm gonna leave this one up to you do you want to talk the offside now or do you want to leave it save it for later let's do it uh now. let's talk let's now. Do, let's do, let, let's do it now because I know in the end people are gonna say that's not why they lost or um they're maybe even tired of hearing about it but I I've I've never felt this way about a call in all of my hockey watching lifetime. Um, Clearly to me, we're watching a a game in which instant replay is used to determine calls. 99% of the time when you're watching a a replay and, you know, as the referee's over there looking at his iPad, you're going, okay, this is coming back. This is going to count. You have your opinions. And there are times where uh, you think, okay, um, I know the answer to this question. Last night was one of those times for me, Jesse. I would have bet everything I owned. Yep. Same. That this goal was coming back. And I, do you ever have like a, an instance where you feel like you're almost like dreaming? You know what I mean? Like, oh, they just said it's a good goal. No, I misheard that. Like that, right. that, that can't, that can't be the answer to this question. Um, were you as shocked as I was? I mean, that's as shocked as I've ever been watching a replay call allowed in hockey. Yes, it is. Because I think I've I've had, it's not the first time I've felt that way because pretty much every time there's a review for goalie interference, I feel this way where I feel like I know the answer and then it's wrong. But we kind of just expect it with goalie interference. Like I've, like I've trained myself to say, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm like 90, the opposite. <laughs> I'm like 99% sure this is goalie interference, but they aren't going to call that. So don't be surprised when they don't. I've prepared myself with offside. I have not given myself the same preparation for them to just blatantly get it wrong. And we, we're going to, we can talk about it. And there is a, there is a specific ruling and then there's a spirit of the rule. And I, I'll argue with anyone on this planet that's offside. I was under the mistaken impression that I knew the rules to this sport. A sport I've been playing and watching since I was five years old. Um, here's, here's, and I love that you said the spirit of the rule, because that's what I think is, is really at the heart of this whole thing. I've heard all the people in the world explain to me why this is a good goal. Basically, it's a delayed offside. Basically, when he crosses the blue line with the puck, Kale McCarr, for that fraction of a second, is not touching the puck with his stick. Because he's in the middle of, what's that thing called again, Jesse? Stick handling. Okay? He's going from his backhand to his forehand. um, And that just happens to be the instance where we have a player tagging up. So it's, like I said, essentially... Um, a delayed offside. That's not what delayed offside is. That's not why it's in the game. Delayed offside is to keep the game moving. You've got a forward trapped in there and you go, okay, I'm going to chip it in. Had Kale McCarr just, like I said, even if he chipped in just a few feet to give himself a couple of seconds to do it, I'm on board. That's not what he did. No one on planet earth is going to convince me that he didn't have 100% control of this puck throughout the entire play. That's offside. Now, if we're going to lawyer the hell out of this, if this is a court of law and this is going to determine whether or not somebody is given the electric chair, guess what? It's onside because his stick is not touching the puck. That doesn't mean it's not ridiculous. Yeah. Where where I think I disagree with the way that it was ruled is 
and, and you kind of touched on this. I think you and I have a disagreement with the NHL on what possession is. Because to me, yeah. Kale McCarr has possession. And, Never and, lost it. And Never there's no argument. Yeah. And, if, and if there was no blue line, say this was say this was in another part of the ice, and you watched that video, and you said, at any point during this three-second clip that we just showed you, did Kale McCarr lose possession of the puck? Any logical person would say, no, he has it the whole time. So just because his stick isn't touching it doesn't mean he doesn't have possession. And what what drives me even more crazy is they have used like they they interpret this rule when they're when you're talking about offside they interpret possession sometimes guys will cross the blue line before the puck does if if a guy turns around and catches the puck skating backwards right yeah we've we've seen this this play ruled where a guy will turn around and catch the puck and now he's skating backwards into the zone and it's not offside Yes, his skates are crossing the blue line before the puck does, but he has, he has possession. possession. He yep. has possession of the puck. So he if 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 he can not be offside skating backwards because he's got possession, then how are we not considering Makar having possession on that play thus ruling I forgot who it was, the player trying to get back outside the blue yeah. line offside. I don't understand how you can in one of those instances instances say He's got possession, so it's not offside, which, by the way, I agree with that ruling. If a guy skates in backwards, but he's got the puck, he shouldn't be offside. He's got the puck. He's bringing it into the blue line. I I just totally disagree with this. I feel like they're doing to this rule. And this is, by the way, this is the first time we've ever seen this happen. This isn't a constant thing like we are with goalie interference. I don't ever remember this happening in offside, but I feel like it might happen more going forward. Now that it's happened once, now the referees are going to be looking at it. And I feel like we're heading in the direction of catches in the NFL where they're just, come on guys, you know what a catch is. Stop trying to micromanage this with ultra slow motion into a way where you can find a way to lawyer it into not being a catch. Like we're, 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 we're heading in the same direction and they need to change this ruling in the off season or whenever the next time they can negotiate it, this has to be changed to where we don't get into this. Kale McCarr had possession. That's offside. A couple things you said I want to touch on. Um, Overthinking, I think, is 100% what we're doing here. Slow motion. You know, I saw some people actually tweeting last night with the super ultra slow motion replay of it saying, Kale McCarr knew exactly what he was doing. He (laughs) pushed the puck over the blue line without touching it because he knew his player had to tag up. Watch this play in regular speed. And there's not, like I said, not a human on the planet who's going to tell me he lost possession. But knowing all this... And, you know, I know you mentioned it's never happened before. People are now diving into, you know, old shots and, and saying, but I think all of them are a little bit different than what we saw last night. This being said, if I'm ever a player near a blue line and I see a player racing out to to tag up, just don't touch the puck. Right. The first, and I'm not saying put yeah. your hands in the air. I'm saying move your stick up like an inch away from the puck and cross the blue line. Yep. And you should be good. You know your what first, I mean? Like your first five feet uh, into the blue line, just glide with the puck gliding with you. Don't touch it. Jesse, you and know it, me. I hate, compl- that's I hate what, complaining that's where about we refs, get, but Right. And, and and like we're we're doing the like slippery slope right here. But still, if we get to a point where now every time players are going in like to the offensive zone, they're just not touching the puck for the first three feet. So guys can be offside or not. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. By that rationale. Okay. By by the rationale that that was an allowed goal. For that split second where he doesn't touch the puck, where he's going from the backhand to forehand, he's not eligible to be hit. That's interference. Yeah, he doesn't have the puck. He doesn't have the puck. He does not have possession of the puck. You cannot hit him. So again, when someone's coming to hit you, just don't be touching the puck. Right. And meanwhile, guys are finishing checks. Oh, three seconds after the puck's gone and it's perfect. And it's a clean hit. Like, I again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of logic. I'm a huge fan of. Um, and, and look, the rules are set to uh, there for a reason. We need, we need a rule book you need, because right. you're always going to have one team that says one thing and the other team that says the opposite. But again, I want everyone to watch Kale McCarr enter the zone at regular speed and tell me that he lost possession or purposely did not touch the puck as it crossed the blue line. And this was not a six, one goal. This was a response to the tying goal in the dying seconds of the period you know, what's the age, age old uh, thing in hockey? Never give up a goal in the first minute of the period or the last goal or the last minute of the period. And that's exactly what happened. Um, 
I think it's got to be reassessed. I think possession has to be reassessed. Everything, yeah. um, again, and, and you know what? I haven't heard anything from the NHL from this. All I've heard from is from analysts and, and, and everybody else. And, you know, I saw somebody point out on Twitter, when Blake Coleman's goal was um, disallowed for the kick, we got an explanation from the NHL. Why haven't we got an explanation as to why this was allowed? So, yeah, and they maybe I'm wrong. We're recording this do, at 1219 yeah. Eastern time. So, if, you know, something comes in the afternoon. So, you know, but yeah. But usually you get it during the game. Like when, when there's yeah. a review, we usually like whether it's goal interference or whatever, they, they send us all a press release saying like at 18, 15 of the second period, this was the review. Like this was the ruling. They usually give you one. That's surprising. They didn't. But let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll move on from this, I promise. Um, watching it live, I said, offside. Like, I, I thought that was offside to the naked eye without a replay. And the reason I bring that up is, in an effort to get everything 100% right, and for the record, I like instant replay and challenges, it, have we started to shoot ourselves in the foot by saying things like this? Do you think it's... Are, are- are you insinuating that the referees like kind of let it go if it's close just so we can get a re- replay? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm insinuating that if we don't have instant replay there, like instant replay was put in for like egregious mistakes. Right. Right. Like we've seen, you know, the Duchesne offside, which is offside by three feet, but the referee just, or the linesman just didn't see it. But the fact that we're so in an effort to get everything 100% right with replay leads us to watch things in slow-mo and go, oh, for this fraction of a fraction of a second, he's not touching the puck. That's not what offside is. That's not what delayed offside is. Maybe in that effort to to make sure we get everything 100% right, we're hurting the game is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's a fine line. Like, I I like replay. I like challenges. I like going back and watching it. I just think, I think when you slow things down as much as we can now with the high def cameras, and like, this is not something that's been happening for years and years. Like, this is a very recent development in sports. And it's not just hockey. Like, to me, football is the sport that does it more than anyone. Like, football, it's ridiculous how, how they slow everything down and look at all these replays and they say, oh, it wasn't a catch because whatever crazy reason. Whereas any normal person watching that is going to say, yeah, that, he caught that it's ball. A catch, yeah. Right. In, in, I think. The slow motion replay changes the way things look. I think you can watch that Kale McCarr play in slow motion and say, look, there's no possession right here, but no normal. I, I do think that there is a an aspect of the slow motion that changes. And like, I think spirit of the rule is the word. I'm, we keep coming back to it. You, There's a reason that rule's in place. And you have to, to me, you have to think, okay, why is this rule here? So that players can't do X, 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 whatever. That's why offside exists. Are we ruling this? Is are we ruling this in the spirit of the rule? And in that case, I don't think it was. And and I think again, I think slow motion makes it easier to lawyer your way around exactly. rules than it does when you're just watching it in full speed. Even if it was a replay, even if you can watch it four or five times, but if it's in full speed, you're going to look at it differently than when you can you can like micromanage every millisecond of the replay. And you know what? I, I highly uh, can't wait to hear the press release after a GM meeting hearing uh, the league is not going to change anything with their offside rules. They think everything is hunky dory and not, you know, change possession rules. Anyways, let's move on. And I, we might as well just stick with Makar. I think, you know, I know we've been talking right quite negatively about this play. But man, oh man, are we lucky to be watching Kale McCarr right now and and to be able to watch this guy for the years to come. Every time I see him, I feel like he takes it to a new level of of awesome, if I could use that word, because we know his ability, we know his skill, but I just feel like his poise is just is crazy right now. Yeah, I mean, he's got so much confidence on the puck. If If I would have told you three years ago, Nathan McKinnon, you could argue Nathan McKinnon isn't the best player on this team. Crazy. He would have laughed yeah. in my face. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's unbelievable. That, like, in, in, in this kid is still so new and he's the best player on this team. I mean, I, I honestly think if, wow. if, 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 like, if, if you told me you're the Avalanche and you've got to be missing one of these guys for the next six games of this series, I would rather be without McKinnon than without McCarr. I think he's that important and I think he's that good. Um, he 
floats on the ice. I'm still convinced he's not using normal ice skates. This guy's got something else on his feet. Yeah. Um, I refuse to believe that he can do those things with with blades on his feet. Um, he he is doing things that no other player does. Like I think he's more than any player in the league. He does things no one else can do. Like I McDavid does it too, but McDavid does the same things everyone else does. He just does it faster. McKinnon, I mean, sorry, McCarr makes moves and and travels in directions that no other player in the NHL is is doing. And it's like he frees himself up. He finds space in the zone. He just, like you said, he's so calm. He just, every time you think he's cornered and it's like, oh, they've got him cornered at the blue line. They're going to, he's going to have to exit the zone. <laughs> he find he's a magician. He finds a way to find that soft spot in the zone. And then he's got the presence of mind to make the pass, make the shot. He's just so good right now. And like you said, confident and poised with the puck. I find him to be one of those players that you think he's impossible to defend because his options are always almost infinite. When he's got the puck, you don't know, like you look at some of the the stretch passes he makes through the neutral zone, which the abs were able to do a million times last night. That's something definitely the Oilers are going to have to try to plug up. Like every pass through the neutral zone seemed so easy. Um, He could either make the pass, he could rush the puck, he could regroup, which we've seen him do all the time where he kind of just goes, okay, this is, it's, He's just incredible. And you look, that was his sixth career three-point game in the postseason, which is fourth in these playoffs, which is just bananas for a kid his age. Only two other defensemen in history had more before their 24th birthday, Paul Coffey and Ray Bork. That's good company to be in. Come on. Um, I think the Avs, what they do better than any... I think what they do best, like if I were to pick one thing that I think the Avs do best that makes them dangerous is they just transition from defense to offense. You mentioned the neutral zone passes. Like to me, there's no, it just blends. Like they're, they're playing defense and it's a breakaway and it's a two on one. Like they had so many odd man rushes and the Oilers deserve some blame. They defended those odd man rushes about as poorly as humanly possible. But the reason they're caught in those is because this, it's such a fast flowing game and like the Avs. They, they don't have the puck. And then the moment they touch it, it's already a chance the other way. Like before you can even blink your eye, it's unbelievable. And it's Makar, it's Taves, it's all those guys on the blue line. They just transition from defense to offense so fast. Got to ask you about goaltending. Uh, Mike Smith yanked after allowing six goals. Not a surprise at all. We, we know that Mike Smith is one of those goaltenders where you just don't know which Mike Smith is going to show up. He's now 0-3 in game ones. Listen to his game ones. Four goals allowed, three goals allowed, six goals allowed, pulled in two of them. Um, He does have a bounce back ability that we'll talk about in a second. But on the other end, Darcy Kemper, late coming out for the second period, I think it was over three minutes of a delay, which I understand why the Oilers were so upset. Like, I I don't care if your goalie's ready or not. Get him out on the ice and then leaves with an upper body injury. No word yet on how long he's going to be out. Who would have thought midway through the second period, we'd have backup versus backup in in game one yeah it was crazy um i it's if darcy kemper's out for a long time i'm concerned for the abs um i i think pavel francis actually looked pretty good in that game to be honest i think i think he kept the minute i think i think he was better than kemper yeah yeah yeah. if you you look at just that game i think he was the better goal i think he was the best goalie well maybe koskinen i don't know they he he was definitely stronger than kemper in that game but I mean, this Avs team is talented. Like, if any team can win with just any goalie, it's these guys. But that's just a goal. Like, he's just a guy. Like, Pavel Francouz is is a obviously belongs in the NHL, but he is not a high caliber starting NHL goalie. And I just it concerns me. I don't I don't know if it'll matter against Edmonton because this team might score eight goals a game. So it's like just get in front of a couple of them. Um, but in the final, if you get through this series, I don't like they need Darcy Kemper back. I, I am very interested to hear what happens in the next day or two, what we see from him. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think that is a a major, major problem for the Avalanche if he can't go. It's pretty crazy that the Oilers in the last two game ones scored six goals in each and lost. It's because they play as bad of defense as they do good on offense. Like it's it's crazy that these players can be that good with the puck and then when the other team has the puck, they're just they look they lost. They are completely they lost, clueless. Yeah. yeah. And th- like I I was talking about earlier, they 
I don't know how you NHL players can be that bad at defending two on ones. The Avs had two on one after two on one after two on one. And every time the defender gave the shot to the goalie, he said, okay, goalie, you've got the shot. I'm going to take the pass. Then watch the pass go through him for a one timer on the back end. Like you either need to challenge the guy or don't let the pass through. You can't give the goalie the shot and then let him pass it through clean. That's like, and they did it time after time after time. It's unbelievable. If I was coaching 10-year-olds, I'd be screaming at them. What are you doing? And these guys are NHL players. You, you took the words out of my mouth. Everything you're saying right now are things I remember my coaches telling me when I was five. Right. You know, <laughs> you, if you're going to leave the shot to the goalie, you make sure that if that forward decides to make a pass, it ain't getting through. And every time it was getting through, uh, Jay Woodcroft after the game said, quote, to a man, we weren't good enough defensively. And like I said, for me, it was the neutral zone. And I know you talk about the transition. And yes, th look, this is a ultra fast, ultra talented hockey team. I'm not trying to say that, hey, it's so simple to stop the Colorado Avalanche. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. But make it tougher on them. Make it tougher on them. One more thing before we go to a break. Secondary scoring for the Oilers. You and I talked about this last week. The, 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 the last two or three years has always been stop. McDavid, stop, dry sidle, you win the hockey game. Again, last night, I know they lost the hockey game, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins with a goal and assist. Evander Kane, 13th goal of the playoffs. Zach Hyman, six straight games with a goal right now. I think that's going to be the deciding factor. If, if they can continue to get secondary scoring and even mediocre goaltending from Mike Smith, it's going to be a series. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and we talked about it last week. They're just playing with a lot of confidence right now. Like it just... It, it feels like a different team. It feels like they believe that they're going to score a lot of goals because they've been so hot with the puck. And I think when McDavid and Dreisaitl are leading in the way that they do, I think it gives confidence to the, the confidence kind of permeates through the rest of the lineup. And we're seeing it like to me, Hyman's the best example. He looks so confident right yeah. now. Nugent Hopkins is, is a good example, too. Um, I agree with you. I think though, because. The Avs have the star power to match Edmonton's star power. Like they've got McCarr and McKinnon. Like they've got the top end guys just like Edmonton does. The difference is like the Avs have depth scoring a ton yeah. of it. If the if the Oilers can match that, if the Oilers depth guys can match the Avs depth guys, then, then we've got a series. It's it's going to be interesting. I I think like watch li listening to Nazem Kadri after the game, they were not happy. The Avs were not happy with that performance. Like despite scoring all those goals, like they clearly went into the locker room and said, "Look, we're we're glad we got that one. It's better to win game 1 than to lose game 1, but that can't happen for the rest of this series because that was insane and if you're the Avs, you want to play a little more structured. So it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in game 2 if that was just talk and they go back to playing roller hockey or if we're going to actually see some defensive structure out of one of these sides. Well, as you mentioned, the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final could not be two more different series. And we're going to try to break down the Lightning and the Rangers. Game one kicking off tonight with Shana Goldman, who's going to join us after the break. She better not say that was an onside goal. We'll talk to her after the break. Don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, in describing these two conference finals, Jesse jumped on Twitter. Jesse, you made me laugh with this one. East, two of the best goalies on planet Earth face off in the conference finals. West, what are goalies? <laughs> I don't think I could have said it better myself. So let's go from the West to the East. And we'll also talk West again a little bit later on. Lightning and Rangers game number one goes tonight. Shana Goldman back on with us. How are you, Shana? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Which which series are, like, are you going to – you're obviously going to watch every second of both series, but I mean <laughs> – have you ever seen two series that seem this different? I almost feel like they're playing a different sport when you try to break these two things down. You're going to get whiplash going from series to series. But yeah. I love it. It's like it's like the great Hannah Montana once said, we get the best of both worlds. <laughs> you just <laughs> quote Hannah Montana? <laughs> I did. I'm sleep deprived. Don't, don't blame me. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Um let, let's start. Let's go Lightning and Rangers. Game one. I mean, is there any other matchup that everybody's talking about except the best goalie in the world taking on the goalie who's going to win the Vesna trophy? It's the best goalie from this year who from this year alone is the best goalie in the world versus the best goalie of the last few years. You know, like it's tough because you literally have best on best here. You have the goalie with the playoff resume who's been elite for two years, Conn Smythe winning Andre Vasilevsky versus Vesna and potentially Hart winning Igor Shesterkin. Like it doesn't get much better than that, but there are other matchups I feel like that aren't getting the traction they should. And like rightfully so to an extent, we should be talking about the goalies, but you still have like Adam Fox against Victor Hedman. You have Nikita Kucherov against Artemi Panarin, neither of which are playing up to the level we know they can. So like there's more intrigue than just the goalies, but we should be talking about the goalies. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like when the goalie matchup is front and center because as we talked about in the first segment, you know, everybody was, uh, you know, bringing up the matchup of McDavid versus McKinnon and those can get lost if other people do well, or if other people kind of steal the spotlight, if one of these goalies slips, they are going to take the blame for losing this series. Yeah. But I guess like, we also have to be like, if they slip in a game, how do they bounce back? Because you could look at Chesterkin from round one and see how he did slip in games three and four. And like to his credit, he had legitimately zero support. So it's not like it was entirely on him, though he didn't respond well to the workload. Then again, who would facing that workload? But it was all about how he responded to it. And he did, you know, he was better in game five, six, seven, and he was really great, you know, all around too. So hopefully neither goalie gets the, gets the blame here. And maybe it'll be completely opposite of what we saw last night but it'll be cool to see if there are these one nothing games and two one games and things like that it's who can beat these goalies like you want to see them at their best in this series it's not which goalie falls apart quicker like I really hope it is a legitimate goalie duel and we see who's the better team in front of those goalies to support them you I'm glad you brought up Kucherov versus Panarin um, you mentioned two guys who have not been the star players that, that you kind of expect them to be putting up the points that they that they have in the past. Who, if you had to pick one, who do you think is more likely to to break out of that? Like, if watching both of them go through their struggles and maybe not put up the points, which one do you think is more likely to come alive in this series? Kucherov, he's the player. I think it's not. I'm not calling Panarin. I'm not saying Panarin's not a playoff player. I know that has been said so far in this postseason. I don't find that to be true. We saw him thrive in Columbus. He doesn't look like he's playing his game. He's not playing to his strengths enough. And it could be injury-based for all we know. He did miss the end of the regular season, you know, a couple games there. It could be something, you know, entirely altogether. Kucherov, though, I feel like we're seeing, like, sparks of him a little bit more than we're seeing of Panarin that I expect him to pull it together a little bit more. I do think maybe part of it's the fact that he doesn't have Braden Point. As great as Steven Stamkos is, and we know that Stamkos Kucherov is a perfect one-two punch, any team would kill to have that. We also know in the playoffs in the last couple of years, it's point with Kucherov. That's the duo for the Lightning. And the fact that they don't have that might be, you know, playing against them. And the fact that they don't have point on that second line, you don't have the same two one-two punch on your, you know, top two scoring lines. So you're going to have, you don't have that same challenge of going who gets, you know, top defensive minutes. Right. It's going to be, we know we're targeting Kucherov and Stamkos and slowing them down and everyone else can handle the rest. The other matchup you mentioned, Adam Fox and Victor Hedman. Am I the only one who thinks Adam Fox is underrated? Like, I, I feel like if you grabbed 100 <laughs> hockey fans and said, give me the elite defenseman in the NHL, I don't know if everybody's saying Adam Fox and and what he's doing, even offensively. I mean, a couple more points, and he's the first Ranger since Gretzky to get 20 points in the playoffs. Like, it's, I just feel like we're not talking about him enough. Well, you're right. We could always talk about Adam Fox. All right, Fox let's, let's, leave it, let's leave it at that. <laughs> Anytime somebody says I'm right, we move. No, go ahead. <laughs> Um, you know, in his rookie season, he jumped out as the Rangers best defenseman within one month, one month of NHL experience. And it was very clear and he was getting, you know, less ice time, but it was, he was so good on both ends of the ice. We knew he was going to be a top tier puck distributor, but he's so sound defensively, which is what I don't, I would say wasn't expected of him. Does he have shortcomings? Yes. His foot speed is one of them. And he has, you know, that's been on display, I think at times in round one and even in round two. And the fact that if he... If he has like an average defenseman, he's fine. But if he has a below replacement defenseman on his side, he's not going to be able to drag them along as much in the postseason. We saw that without Ryan Linger in there. But he's such a smart player. It's his positioning. It's his gap control. It's his stick work. You know, he sees plays developing before that they do so he can anticipate them and react accordingly. 
It's why he won the Norris last year. And if you ask a lot of people, you know, who was on their Norris ballot, initially a lot of them didn't have Fox as top three. They had Hedman, who wasn't playing at his best in the second half of the year. They had McCarr, who didn't go against top competition as much last year. And then you look at this year, and Fox rightfully wasn't in the top three, but it doesn't mean he wasn't, you know, a top 10 defenseman in the league this season. Even though it was technically a step back, it was still the caliber that most teams would want from their number one. I feel like Fox's plays are a little more subtle. Uh, yeah. Like we talk about like McCarr and, and, and those guys and Yossi and, and even Hedman, they pop on the screen. And I think Fox, he may make more plays than those guys, but they're subtle plays. They don't like stick out as much. And I think that's part of the reason he's, he's underrated, but I think coaches and I think the players realize how, how dominant he is on the ice. Yeah. That makes, that makes a ton of sense because like you'll see the flashier plays on the power play. Sure. But it's what he does at even strength. And it's the poise that he has and the calmness and he'll be under pressure at the blue line. And you can see the keepings he makes or the way he can just walk the blue line. Like, it's it's all these plays. We definitely watch them with Makar and we see him with Yossi and we see him with Hedman. And, you know, Jacob Slavin has these standout plays and Miro Heiskin. And there's so many good defenders around the league. And Charlie McAvoy, you know, you can keep going. Fox is in that conversation. And it's because of the subtle things he does. Absolutely. We talked a lot about Tampa Bay's ability to block shots. Uh, and, and that was like such a huge factor in that Florida series. And I was looking up the, the, the stats for this. You look at the Rangers. They also like to get in front of Fox over 18 block shots per 60 minutes. The Lightning, 19.25 block shots per 60 minutes. What are the odds of somebody's leg exploding? Because, I mean, <laughs> every time I see, especially the way that the, the, the Lightning do it, they line up players so that if one guy doesn't get the block shot, the next guy will get it, and the next guy will get it, and then the fourth guy just happens to be Vasilevsky. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of the same in this series. Do you agree? Yes, but I do think we're going to have to see, we're going to see the Lightning have to block fewer shots. Like the Panthers were one of the best teams at generating shots in the regular season. Obviously, they didn't play to their strengths in round one or two, but the Rangers are not a great team at generating offense. So there's going to be, I would imagine, unless things somehow open up, which I don't fully see happening, you know, we'll see a lower rate of shot attempts, probably a lower rate of quality chances. So Tampa will still get in the way of the ones that they do see, but I think it'll be less overwhelming than the other two series. But I'm sure both will be blocking a ton of shots. And that's like that's a stat I love and hate because block shots can can be great. You know, they can take away opportunities. Blocked passes can be great. But sometimes they are reactionary, too, because the defenders weren't able to stop the chance before it could have even developed. They couldn't get their stick in the way. They couldn't, you know, stop them from entering the zone. They couldn't stop something that they throw their bodies in, in the way. And then sometimes you see that next chance is developing and they can't even get up in time to do it. So it, it's such a tricky, like you live by the blade, die by the blade kind of thing because it can burn you. And I'm really curious to see if the Lightning need to be blocking as many shots this series and if the Rangers keep up with it or find a way to try to force it out with their sticks a little bit more. To to continue along that and also bring it back to the goalies because you know how I am. I got to bring it back <laughs> to the goalies. I To me, that's an interesting dynamic because I agree with you that the, the Rangers have not been good at generating a lot of offense, especially at five on five this year. And I'm, I'm curious to see how each goalie reacts to that, because we're talking about how this is going to be a goalie duel. But Shesterkin might be getting double the volume that that Vasilevsky's facing. And like logic tells you, if you're a goalie, would you rather face more or less shots? Well, obviously less. But that's not always the case. Like yeah. some of the hardest games to play as a goalie are the ones where the whole game is spent in the other zone and then suddenly it's a two on one that you've got to face. And, and you, when, when possession is heavy on one end of the ice, the chances on the other end tend to be fast break, tend to be odd man rushes. And, and to me, it's going to be interesting to see how these goalies handle. I think Shesterkin's going to get more volume, but sometimes that's easy. That, that helps you. If you feel the puck, you start to feel the rhythm. And then Vasilevsky is going to have to be sharp in limited uh, limited volume. Do you, do you kind of see a, a similar dynamic happening in this series? Yeah, absolutely. That's how the Rangers, you know, thrive. Sometimes they can yeah. take a ton of shots against, and then you notice, you know, they get that one quality look and look what happens. So absolutely. Like that, that might be a factor. It is interesting. Cause I think Vasilevsky's workload has a l- been a little bit tougher in this postseason, And I know we expect the lightning to be one of the best defensive teams and they've had some you know, drawbacks in certain areas in the regular season and in the playoffs and in the regular season, I think some of it was injury based and in the playoffs, they were playing high octane teams like the Maple Leafs and the Panthers. So it's going to be an adjustment for them too. Now that Vasilevsky isn't, I would assume, isn't going to be as exposed. You know, I think 
it was cycle chances like you saw Vasilevsky facing a lot, you know, a lot like Shesterkin was, but he was responding to them better. And Shesterkin's so accustomed to facing so many chances off the rush, but he's so used to stopping them. So it definitely makes for an interesting dynamic. It's the Rocky Four style of playoff hockey. Just take a whole bunch of shots over and over again, and then just take advantage of the 15th round. Um, let's slide over to the West for a minute. We beat this to death in the first segment because Jesse and I both were in agreement, but we just agreed with each other for about 15 minutes. Uh, your thoughts on the Kale McCarr onside goal? That was a really tricky play because I didn't know the rule. And I think it's interesting because the Oilers under Woodcroft went 5-0 and on offside challenges in the regular season. So they've been really proficient with that and have challenged in, you know, plays that they know that they're going to be right. Here, I'm assuming they thought so, because if not, you're not just going down 3-2. Now you're going to go on, you know, the penalty hill. And they've only lost one challenge in the playoffs. It was for goalie interference. And they didn't allow a power play goal against And Maybe they thought because it was going to be a carryover power play that they can manage that too. Like maybe the timing worked out that it was a risk to take. But it's a rule that so many of us didn't know. And I, I would be curious what the Oilers video coaches thought was on that too. If they thought this is the rule that didn't come to mind. Like, I, I don't know. I just, it, it really surprised me that it wasn't an offside play. And when you hear their explanation, I think Bob McKenzie had it best. It's like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But I just, I like the idea of having coaches challenge. I think especially for goalie interference, because there's so many plays that you should be taking a second look at it, but it's meant for those big egregious plays. And was this that? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, we were saying if, if you're a lawyer and you're in court, you argue this in the end, the jury is going to say, yeah, he wasn't touching the puck, but it's not the spirit of the rule. And, um, it's interesting you use the word risk. I'm telling you, I don't know anyone who would have looked at that real quick. Cause you know that, that it's, it's, it's a split second after a goal is scored, they're quickly looking to see if they should challenge it. They don't have 10 minutes to, to look at it from every angle. You look at that replay, you go, yeah, challenge, 100%. Yeah. You're challenging that. There was 100% of people watched as we waited for that referee to make the call and said, oh, that's offside. This goal is coming back, 2-2 going into the second period, and were completely shocked. Um, I'm just, I really hope they, they, they examine what possession is in the offseason and maybe <laughs> yeah. add a little, you know, a little, a little line to that, that rule that says, no, like the, if, as long as they've maintained hundred percent possession, that's offside. Yeah. There's too many definitions for possession right now. And I understand having human error in it. That's, you know, the idea you don't want it like controlled by robots or whatever, you know, some sports are doing it and it works and some feel that they shouldn't at all. You, you know, you have to find that balance somewhere. Uh, as someone who watches the French open and watches that they don't use Hawkeye and they have to get down and point at the clay and go, it's good or bad. Like, Sometimes human error, like there's too much of it and we have the technology, why not use it? But there should be more clarity in the rules all around, more definitions. So there aren't these calls, especially in the playoffs, like of all time. This is, again, it was a two, it could have been a 2 2 game going into the second period. Instead, it ended up being 4 2 as a result, right, wrong, or sideways. That's what happened. And even if, yes, that was the rule. Yes, they deserve the penalty. Yes, you're going against Colorado's power play. That was the risk you decided to take to challenge the play. It's a huge game changer. It's interesting you bring up the the, the French Open too. I just love when they it's point on in the background. Yeah, like, no, this, I, is, this is my life. At some random, you know, scuff in the clay. Every time I go there, it, that that's the ball. I'm like, really? Like they haven't been playing tennis here for two and a half hours, <laughs> and there's a <laughs> yeah. million scuffs on the damn court. Um, anything else from this game? Game one that obviously had a little bit of absolutely everything from. Goals to wackiness to drama. I mean, what what are you looking forward to seeing in game two after watching that crazy game last night? More chaos. I love more it. of it. Yeah. I just want more. I would like um, I would like to see if Car Kemper's healthy, and I do hope he is. Um, there was a goalie duel between Kemper and I think it was Koskinen, if I remember correctly, from the regular season. The two of them put on this incredible game. If I remember right, it went to overtime, and it was one of the best games of the regular season I remember watching, going like, I want a playoff series like that. If I get one of those games, I'd be happy, but I feel like we're going to get it from the East. So I'm not going to be like too picky with it. I just want to be entertained. I, you know, I think blowouts can get kind of boring. So I'm just hoping whatever it is, it's these, these games matter throughout the majority of regulation that we're all like on the edge of our seat. What's going to happen next? Jesse got to mention that these, that these playoffs have everything. The one thing I've been loving about the playoffs are that fact that no lead feels safe. 
And we, we saw the Oilers battle back in game one against the Flames. We saw them last night make a game of it. I love the fact that a blowout doesn't necessarily mean, you know, all right, I'm going to see if I can catch up on some of my sleep as Shane is really tired, as you mentioned. No, you, you want to watch all 60 minutes because you never know what's going to happen. That's what we're waiting for, right? It was what, seven to three? And yeah. and I'll be completely honest. I don't I never thought it was over. Like not at yeah. when it was seven to three, I not even for a second thought this game is out of reach. Which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> it's like, you know, earlier in round one, there were a couple of those games that were a bit one sided, and then when it, it really mattered, you saw it tighten up, and that's what we're seeing moving forward. So like that's what I'm hoping for. Cause like, I mean, I'll be honest, round two didn't thrill me. You know, round one I thought was really great. Round two was okay, but now we have these great matchups and we got what we were asking for from game one of the west that now i'm hoping we get more of that this round to really like bring it up from from round two that was just it was okay maybe i'm too picky maybe i'm asking outside of one. yeah battle of alberta was awesome but yes. outside of that the other three series were a little lackluster battle of alberta was the, the best five game series you can have like it was yeah. it was the closest five game series you can have right. too like on paper it doesn't look like it but that's that's what you want from every playoff series yeah, and then the East was just like, we're not doing this. <laughs> just sit here we got a game seven. <laughs> uh, you got to love the Stanley Cup playoffs. Shana, it's always a pleasure having you on. Always fun. We'll talk to you soon. Get some sleep. Go go. <laughs> finish watching your French Open, then go to sleep. Now that I have to watch the, the Lightning Ranger game later. Yeah, so you got to rest up for the game. I mean, we'll see. Yesterday's match went till seven o'clock. I had one hour and I was like, I'm not sleeping now. Running on <laughs> Thank adrenaline. <you>. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for having me. After the break, rapid fire things we didn't get to in the first segment. So don't go anywhere. All right, Jesse, rapid fire time. Some of the things we haven't gotten to in the show. Number one, Jordan Biddington. Um, fully admitting that, yeah, I tossed a water bottle at Nazem Kadri. Not that we didn't think it was him. I didn't think Nazem Kadri was lying about this, but I don't know. I kind of like this stuff. Me too. I like, there's no harm there. He threw it three feet away from him is how Bennington described it. By the way, his like in-depth breakdown of how he threw it at him was amazing. Yeah. If we can get that for, if we can get that kind of candid <laughs> answers for everything, it'd be great. Um, the one thing I will say though, is I think I don't think throwing the water bottle is a bad look for Jordan Bennington, but I think the fact that it bothered him that much, he needs to get out of his own head a little yeah. bit. I think he, I like his fieriness. Like most goalies are, are very like calm. Like they're, they're not that guy that's like yelling at the other team and, and getting into it with him like him. And I kind of like that. But at the same time, I do think he lets it get to him a little too much. Well, he kind of said, I, I saw him doing the interview and laughing and smiling after a win, and it bothered me, and the opportunity was there. Um, I liked it. I thought it was funny, but I agree with you. Is that conducive to you know being a good goaltender and being a good hockey player? Who knows? Uh, number two, Nathan McKinnon was asked about the matchup between himself and Connor McDavid in this series, and all he said was, well, let's just... Hope it, I'm paraphrasing. Hope a lot of people are watching because then it should lower our escrow. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> okay. I mean, and I like Nathan McKinnon a lot, and I get what he was trying to say there. But to me, it also kind of came off a little bit like, I don't have enough money to put gas in my Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but also, it's like, with the people like to to get angry at the players for asking for more money. But the way I look at it is it's a battle between millionaires and billionaires yeah. for that money. So it's like, he's, he's trying to get gas for his Ferrari and, and the guy who doesn't want to pay it to him is trying to fill up his private jet. So um, <laughs> I can have a hard time going with that. I don't know. It, it was a funny comment. Damn you, Jesse and your good points. <laughs> Cause I always bring that up too when people go, Oh, athletes are overpaid. I'm like, would you rather he has it and he's, you know, doing this or the owner who's sitting on their yacht have that money, right? So, yeah, you make a good point. Marty St. Louis, no longer interim head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, now the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, signing a three-year extension. I'm not surprised, but I'm still I'm still surprised that this whole situation laid out the way it did. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I feel like when I hear this, I think, oh, yeah, slam dunk, like, 
But then when you really look at it, it's like, why what, Why does it feel like a slam dunk? Because the team still sucked. Yeah. They, they had the worst record in the league. Maybe it's just because I wasn't paying that much. Maybe maybe it's because early in the year I was paying attention to Montreal sucking because they were coming off the conference final appearance. And I wouldn't say high expectations, but certainly higher than they lived up to. And then I guess once San Luis took over, I kind of just ignored the Canadians and didn't really pay attention to them because they were so far out of it. So maybe I didn't like pay attention to to their failings but i don't know like there's there's a very weird aspect where this feels like a good hire but i don't know why it does because they suck yeah i just i just mean even just just how little experience he has in coaching and suddenly right. you're put into one of the biggest hot seats of a coach like you automatically are hired in montreal to be on the hot seat from day right. one you're gonna get scrutinized for every single thing that you do uh jason spezza retired he's gonna take a front office job with the toronto maple leafs Kind of feel for the guy. He was one of those really hope he wins a Stanley Cup before he retires. Maybe he's going to win it as as you know an executive, but um, not 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 too surprised on this one either. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, would have been nice to see him get one, and and it would be cool if he gets one as an exec. But that's not the same. Not the you're same. not in the you're not in the room. You're not down there on the ice. It's just not the same. So it, it is definitely sad to see him go without one. Well, wraps up another show. Sarah's going to be back next week, but uh, anything you got going on that you want to plug? Yeah, I've been working on some some cool off-season stuff right now in the middle of doing a... Uh, I, I did a mailbag, and one of the more interesting questions I got from a fan was, what would the Golden Knights look like if they didn't make any of these big trades or signings? What if they had kept Nick Suzuki and Eric Brandstrom and, and developed all those draft picks that they had early, and rather than going out and trading for Stone and Pacioretty and Eichel and signing Petrangelo? So I worked with Dom... Um, he, he came up with the GSVA numbers. We, we crunched the numbers wow. to see what team looks better. The current Golden Knights, built as if you're playing NHL 22, making every ch- signing and trade you possibly can, or if they had just left it alone and stuck with the Golden Misfits. And, and to be honest, the numbers were, were a little surprising to me. So have that coming out in the next few days. I know Golden Knights fans are excited for it. That's it. That's, I really like that concept because I think a lot of things that come into play, too, is where this expansion team is. You right. need you need to sell a product in certain places. I mean, if if suddenly there's an expansion team in Canada or near Toronto, it's it's a little different. Whereas if you're trying to sell a product, you want to win now and you want to you want to get butts in the seats. Uh, so Jesse, we'll see you next week and make sure to head to the Athletic to read that. I want to let people know what else we got going on at the Athletic. Logan Cooley and Shane Wright, two guys that are going to be at the NHL draft. I guarantee you. We're going to join Arpon Basu and Marc Antoine, Marc Antoine Gaudin, excuse me, on Le Support Athletique. You like my French pronunciation there, Jesse? I Fantastic. Th- I like, came so close to failing grade nine French. My, my pronunciation is pretty bad. Uh, and you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget, leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You get all the bonus content from the entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial. Then it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns on Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. For Jesse, for Sarah, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you next week.